Breaking news, the internet is a cesspool of misinformation. I encourage you that when you're looking at anything online that you reserve a healthy bit of skepticism before taking it as gospel. Consider the source, consider the purpose of the source, consider their motivation, and then double-check it for factual errors. It's that easy. For example, I googled Brewing in Ireland History and did some real total bullshit pop up on the screen. For example, a tour company, which will remain nameless, out of England, they specialize in vacation packages to Ireland and Great Britain. Under their page, A Brief History of Irish Beer, they had posted, Up until the 1700s, most of the beer consumed in Ireland was imported from England and Scotland. But in the middle of the 18th century, Sir Arthur Guinness opened a brewery in Dublin adjacent to the Liffey River. Now, firstly, I know it was either a Brit or a Yank who wrote this because they called it the Liffey River and not the River Liffey. And secondly, what the monkey-loving football are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Before the Industrial Revolution and the age of railroads, most of the beer consumed anywhere in the world was brewed within walking distance of your home. To say that there was no beer being made in Ireland before Arthur Guinness is just absolutely ridiculous. To make that kind of statement is part of what I like to call historical myopia. People believe that their ancestors more or less lived just as we do today. I say, old chap, why don't we run down to ye old convenience store and pick up a 12-pack of old froth and slush? The cost and time to import beer from England and Scotland would have been logistically monetarily prohibitive, as well as wasteful. Most beer spoiled within three to four weeks, if not sooner. And the person that composed that statement for that tour company, which will remain nameless, must have pulled that right out of their hoo-ha. Because I couldn't find it anywhere else online, and if they had taken just a moment to do what I did, they would have learned the truth. Archaeological evidence points to brewing a beer on the island of Ireland going all the way back to the Bronze Age. There were Irish monks brewing beer as far back as the late 5th century. Legend has it, and again I repeat this is a legend, St. Patrick, while taking his mission around the island in the 5th century, had his own personal brewer in tow. By 1700 in Dublin, there were over 1,500 pubs, taverns, alehouses, and small breweries all brewing their own beer. So, to say that most of the beer consumed in Ireland at that time was imported from England and Scotland is absolutely idiotic. But that's not the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard from somebody when talking about Irish history. Follow me here. During the Dark Ages, monks brought the art of distillation to Ireland. True. The monks distilled the beer, making aquavitae, or in the Irish language, ishkabaha, the water of life. True. We get the word whiskey from ishka because, as we know, words morph and change over time when introduced to other cultures. Also true. Now here's where it gets hairy. The Vikings arrived in Ireland in the 8th century and learned the art of distillation from the Irish monks. The Vikings took the art of distilling back to Norway and then on to Iceland. Then distilling was taken to Greenland by Eric the Red, where his son, Leif Erikson, learned it. Leif then took the information he had learned from his father to the Native Americans in the late 10th or early 11th century, and the Native Americans then taught the art of distillation to the English colonists in the 16th and 17th century, who then started making moonshine on the American frontier. 
If you believe that one, I've got a beachfront timeshare in Greenland that I'd love to sell you. Just watch out for the polar bears. This is episode number 20. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Thank you, Jessica, and hello, everyone, and thanks for finding the Brews Traveler out here in the podcasting universe. I am Alan Tatman, and it is so good to be home back in the scenic capital of Jefferson City, Missouri, at River's Edge Studios on the bluffs overlooking the Missouri River. Ireland was great, uh, as always. I love that country. I love the people. I love the pubs, the hotels, the music, the food. The scenery, of course, is remarkable. Um, it's so green. And that's not an exaggeration. If you've been there, you know that. Actually, I think 40 shades of green is an understatement. But anyone who does much traveling will always tell you, no matter where you go, no matter if you're sleeping in the Ritz-Carlton and eating in Michelin five-star rated restaurants, there's nothing feels better than your own shower, your own bed, and your own home. So I'm going to be staying close to home for a little while, probably from now until the end of the year. And uh, we're going to be doing some interviews with folks here in the Midwest, as well as some interviews over the phone. And the next big road trip I look at for the Bruce Traveler will be sometime, I'd say, towards late January. But this week, we're looking at Ireland once more. First, we'll hear from Austin Barrett of Dick Max Brewhouse in Dingle in the County Kerry. He launched a nano brewery just a little over a year ago, and everything about his journey is still very fresh in his mind, and he is extremely candid and detailed about his thought processes and his planning and sales and what went in for him to start a craft brewery in that beautiful city. You're going to love this story. So, it has Austin telling us about his adventure, and then I have a very brief interview with him at the end, and like most Irish, he is very good at telling a tale. And in the What's the Rumpus segment with Tony, he and I sat down with a very, very good friend of mine, Pat Dowling, the manager of one of the greatest pubs in Dublin, if not in the world, the Stag's Head on Dame Lane, where I seem to spend most of my time when I'm in that fair city. If you've been to Ireland with me, you've probably met Pat. And we talked about his career as a barman, the changing world of pub hospitality in Ireland over the past two decades, plus the role that the craft beer movement has played. So we'll get to that in a minute. Excuse my voice this week. <clears throat> I have a bit of a low-level sinus infection and some drainage. Don't want to get into the details. But if the edits sound a bit erratic and a little gravelly in my voice, now you know why. I'm getting better every day. So we've got a lot on the plate for this episode, so let's get started. And without any further introduction, here is Austin Barrett, the lead man of Dick Max Brewhouse in Dingle, County Kerry, Ireland. And this is your interview of the week. Um, so really what I'm trying to do is show you how small it is in Ireland. Like it really, really is tiny compared to you guys. The reason I said about, say, Seattle and Washington, that sort of Washington state is I get a lot of people in. I've had people come in telling me that in their areas, your areas, whatever, like the craft beer market share is anything up to, I've had people tell me it's 50 and 60%, okay? That's colossal, that's huge, right? Now I know that's only certain parts of the state. I know it's big in the States, but that's probably some of the biggest it can be, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
when I started working in this business, which was nine years ago now, I worked for another brewery back west called West Kerry Beer. Um, the craft beer market share at the time was 1%. Okay, so really tiny, right? Now, in nine years, it's risen to 3%, which is a good jump. That's not too bad. The only problem is there's six times the amount of breweries there was nine years ago. So it's, you know, it's, it's great that it's on the up and more people are drinking craft beer and everything. There's still too many craft breweries here and, or else there's not enough people drinking craft beer. And what's happening is you're, you're finding like the industry is really strong, but it's spread out too much and there is actually breweries already starting to get into trouble which people actually told me is happening in the States as well in certain areas because it's just, it just so many of them exploded onto the scene that they were, I suppose, everyone going for the exact same market at the same time. Um, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster, really, you know, kind of thing. So that's why I'll get back to how we maybe started the, you know, the process of getting this brewery off the ground. Like, I had worked for that other brewery for three years, roughly three years. And what I had done is, once I decided to start a, a, um, a, the brewery, like, I, it's kind of the first thing I've ever... Like, I worked in a lot of different jobs and different kind of careers and that sort of thing, but I've never once been in something that I just love so much that I wanted to start up my own, you know? And it was the first time ever I was working for those guys for about a month or two, and I just loved it, and I knew it. And I loved it, and the country was in recession, and everything was tough, and it was hard to even sell the beer, but I just loved everything about it. I remember the first beer festival I went to with those guys, and just realizing that there's so many small craft breweries out there, and people, there's a really nice small network of breweries in Ireland um, that really do help each other. Everyone does, because the way we look at it is, I'm not in competition with any other craft brewery in Ireland, but we're together we're all in competition with the big guys. Yes. Okay? And that's really important, because along the way, I got a lot of help from different people. Um, like, it's the only, as I say, the only industry I've ever been involved in that, like, people will actually tell you their secrets. Mm -hmm. Because the way they look at it is, it's like, if we're stronger, they're stronger, and that sort of thing. And... Um, like that's what I used to do even going working at the beer festivals for that other company when I when I decided I was going to start a brewery was like you know going around picking people's brains and asking questions and being those annoying guys at beer festivals that come up to breweries I was one of them for a while because I had nowhere, no other way to go and then calling into other breweries at the same time you know maybe all along the way and as I said I was working for those guys for about three years and when I left them it was to really try and take it seriously and start this brewery I went around for about two years, you might as well say, thinking I was starting a brewery, but nothing was getting done. It was just that kind of, you're on your own, going around. Really didn't know what route I wanted to go. Um, probably wasting a lot of time, that sort of thing. But what happened was, anything really only happened when I got, you guys met Finn. When I would have sold beer to Finn from the other company. So I would have gotten to know him. So over the time of, I suppose, knowing him for about a year, year and a half, really, selling him the beer then I would have left those guys start wanting to start off the brewery then I went around as I say for two years not, not anything getting done it was really one day sitting inside having a beer with Finn telling him what I wanted to do and him saying actually that's funny we were sort of thinking of doing something similar along the lines down here with the site we have and all the room we have here that's where it started from so after a couple more evenings of a couple of pints which seems to be the way a lot of these things come um, we decided to go for it ourselves myself and Finn and one other, other guy Seamus decided to go for it let's try and start this brewery now in that time because we're talking about when like we started the brewery exactly a year ago we're only, we had our year birthday celebration during the week from, from when I started when we, when we sat down properly and shook hands about starting the brewery until we started it actually took off the ground was well over three years 
So you might as well say it took me over five years to get the brewery going, right? But, but two of those years were just running around like a headless chicken. Um, but in that time, when we would have, I, I had all the plans done up and all sorts of things done up for a much bigger brewery than we have now. Because, and that's the way we went down the route. We went, I had plans, I had drawings of what we were going to do here. Like the original brewery was going to be here and the next few buildings down and going right back down the site. We were going to build a new build because it was going to be quite big. But what happened was in the time that we had all these plans done and we were almost going for planning permission and all these sort of things you do, we started noticing more and more that there was just, it was a bit, a little bit frustrating that kind of you were almost thinking you missed the boat. You know, there was so many breweries opening up and the, like the, even a couple of years ago, like there was, you could just see it happening. There was like, you know, within six months, there was, when I say ordinary pubs, I mean not necessarily craft beer pubs, say in places like Dublin and Cork that would have had two and three craft beers, Irish craft beers, were now having seven eight nine ten you know and it just we're kind of going this doesn't make sense this isn't right like because there still isn't that the, the the market share still was so small so there's a lot of things that we thought at the time were negative that turned out to be positives that it's probably good that it take it took me that long to get anything even even like on the road if you know what i mean but we were able to sort of stand back and watch everything happening which was just brewery after brewery every month or two another brewery opening up but there's still not enough people drinking the beer so that made us suddenly like i I know one friend of mine who has a brewery in dublin um, and they had decided to do an expansion they were a small enough brewery probably about what we are now but they went from being very small brewery to going and taking on an expansion and doing it and in the time that the expansion happened, which took them about the guts of nine months, which kind of does, like you're talking about ordering custom in equipment, their whole market changed. Like the pubs that they were in with two beer, two other craft beers now were the pubs at six, seven, eight craft beers. And also you had, in the same time, you had, say, the bigger companies coming out with trying to compete and bringing out with others, what they're calling craft beers. And these people, when they actually got it finally off the ground, they were in a really bad situation because they suddenly, like, they had paid for all this equipment, they had raised all the money, they were ready to go, but they, you know, their market that they were guaranteed on, that they did every, all their business plan, had completely changed. Some people had dropped them as their, as as their beer, different things like this. But they ended up. I suppose it happens. It happens over here a bit. I don't know how it happens in the states, but um, over here, what they say is like that: the supermarkets kind of come to you and say, "I see you're having trouble there. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take all your beer off you, but a hundred percent of it. You can't you can't uh, sell it to anyone else." I'll take it off you. And then for a, for a brewery, it makes a lot of sense at the time. It's like, well, you know, God, I'll, I'll save on sales staff and distribution and, you know, um, line technicians and all this sort of thing. So a brewery kind of jumps at it if they're in trouble. But what the supermarket does, they do buy all your beer and everything goes great. But year two, they come along to you and say, we'll buy all your beer now, but we're only paying you 75% of what we paid you last year. And at that stage, you have nowhere to turn because you've ditched all your clients, your customers, you've given it to the supermarket who's spreading around the country. And these guys I know them they're there and they are literally like they said it themselves we're slaves now to the supermarket because they even the supermarket even determines what they're brewing now now they're still independent they're still they own themselves but if they if they went and told the supermarket where to go they'd be gone because no one is going to they can't go back to the people they've already dropped and this sort of thing Um, and the problem is in Ireland I don't know if it's similar in, in the states the problem is in Ireland that they are but four of them are owned by the same person so there's no competition really so basically if that's, that, that's the company who came to them and said we'll take it on you'll be all over the country the people thought that was great so you've nowhere else to turn you really did. so that person now they said to me they wish they never did expansion they wish they stayed a small struggling and all this so 
that made us really it is the reason it took us over three years to get that, that part off the ground because we suddenly went hang on a second and we, we went back and made a big decision on changing everything and going backwards so we went from our original plans and drawings were for a two thousand anything from 2,000 litre to 3,000 litre brewery which is 20 hectolitre or 30 hectolitre we changed that like in, and that's what stalled us then we had to go back and change everything work everything out we decided instead of trying to be that big a brewery which basically if you're that big a brewery you really are trying to supply definitely all around Munster like as in all around Kerry and Cork and that sort of thing but probably around the rest of the country now we would know it's the rest of the country because it's just so tough out there you would have to spread it out so you're talking about having sales staff all those people that the brewery is trying to like save money on we were suddenly going to have to have that and we did our figures based on people telling me what they were selling which is very handy that people actually do trust you and will tell you and we realised that if we had bought, opened that brewery we wanted it I don't think we would have made the first year because of our the, uh, basically our wages would have been just so high it would have been well, I think we worked it out we would have been anything between 9 and 12 people would have had to work for us full time so I know what it's like already now because we've gone the opposite we've gone a much smaller brewery what we did was we changed plans to being a 500 litre brewery which is very small probably much closer to what you guys regard as a brew pub really so our idea initially was instead of trying to conquer the whole country let's just try and conquer our own town first you know took baby steps into it that we really only we put in the we we ordered the equipment and we went for three 1000 litre fermenters which basically meant you brew twice into a fermenter and really only every every week you're going to empty a fermenter and brew into a fermenter so you really that only gives us 30 30 litre kegs so which is very small but that's the way we went about it like now the idea was initially to to serve it in through dick max like i'm nothing to do with dick max it was like we were renting that building there and selling the beer through that was the idea that we would take it all very slowly and hopefully build up the product and the brand and that sort of thing and that we would actually i suppose we thought to ourselves within a year or something we made there might be a bit more demand and we would maybe decide on something to do then whether it was to expand and that sort of thing what happened straight after that is what really surprised us um we got open this time last year. We opened just you just you just missed a food festival just passed by this weekend. Probably the biggest weekend in Dingle. They're busier than any other weekend. Thousands of people here. Um, we got to launch in time for the food festival last year. It was very frustrating, first of all, because we didn't get to launch in the summer. So we're what it is now. The season is starting to die off and slow down. That's when we opened. So we thought to ourselves we're going to have a really tough winter because we really only launched in time. Um, but what happened was within a couple of weeks of opening and our beer getting out there and people liking it um, a couple of pubs came to us looking for the beer which we hadn't even thought about we hadn't decided on going that way at all as in trying to sell it to anyone else yet it was about trying to get it in there and see how much they could sell so we kind of realised that the people had come to us saying look yeah we want your beer it's a local product everyone's crazy to have local products around here Um, and it was like if we get can we get your beer in? But we weren't ready for it. We weren't like, we could have probably gone into, we thought it to ourselves, four or five pubs or restaurants in the town. So what we did was we came back and kind of talked about it and we said like, look, are we going to do our original plan, which was wait? Are we going to kind of try and tackle this, what's going on? So we went around to every pub in the town on the off season, like in the start of, I think, November. We were only open about a month and said to them, if we could get you beer next season, would you be interested and 95% of them would because at that stage people had tried our beer and it was fairly different like I'll jump back to what something I said earlier about all those breweries that opened up you might kind of know this as in being in du- uh, like in Dublin and around like there was a sort of a thing when all, every brewery like I was I was always excited about every brewery open up see what they're going to be like and I'd either go to the brewery or go trying the beer it's a real Irish thing maybe but people basically 
let's make the same beer everyone else is making you know so everyone came out with a golden ale a red ale and a dark ale because it's a real no risk it's like most people like all of them like you're and that was what every brewery was doing oh coming out with those three beers too much competition out there they were all making the exact same beer so we on purpose were deciding no we're going to go for something be quite different like we went like there's only there's has been a couple of years of IPAs I say being made in Ireland but not that many there's, they're getting more and more popular nothing like you guys yeah. um, so we said we start off with an amber ale which is basically like a sort of a, an American amber recipe but we've tweaked it a bit differently it's fairly different to an Irish red ale I got sick of Irish red ales myself because there's just so many of them out there um, and then went for the session IPA so we just love IPAs that's the other thing about going for a small little brewery you can actually make beer you like as opposed to what you're going to sell to other people. What had happened was, I was kind of saying to there about being frustrated that we did, couldn't get open in time over the, the summer. Um, we actually, there was no problem technically. We had the brewery in place. It, it all arrived during the summer. We even had the beer being made. Uh, the only thing was we didn't, we hadn't permission to be to sell the beer. That, that's the one of the things here that really slows you down. There's a lot of red tape, a lot of government departments you have to deal with. So we basically had the beer ready. We even had kegged um, a batch of them and we were kind of again frustrated and we kind of said to ourselves like we were trying to get a feedback from the government department we were dealing with how long we thought it might take and they they were kind of saying hopefully in the next couple of weeks we weren't really sure so what we had was like it was Graham who came to me actually the first day and he said what about making um, a fairly different beer just something special that might a once off sort of thing that might just kind of showcase the the brewery for that beer fest sorry for the food festival that was coming up something that we could really like just you know make its mark and like knowing that we had missed the busy season but something that might just get people talking about the beer so he suggested what about doing a coffee stout and straight away I said yeah I love coffee stouts let's make coffee stout and I remember the day he said it he said back to me he just went he was only with us about a month at this stage or two months and he says I'm going to love working here and I said why he says because he says for the for the last three years in the other brewery he was in which is a good bit bigger than us not huge but a good bit bigger like as I said to you at that time we were only going to be kegging 30 kegs a week his brewery that he worked in before every time they kegged was 150 kegs so for them to just say let's do a coffee stout was a much bigger deal than us and he said it was getting frustrating that's it like Graham is a pure home brewer so he's just like he just wants to be in a small brewery making different beers hopefully that sort of thing and the bigger the brewery got that he was in the less control you have how to have recipes it actually get, ended up getting controlled by the salespeople. the salespeople could come back and tell you what they thought would sell in a place so that's not really nice for a guy like a home brewer guy who's just trying to do the best beers he can so he said he had asked them for three years about doing a coffee stout and they wouldn't the sales sales department kept coming back saying Look, there's nobody making coffee stouts in Ireland there's no market for it and that, he said well that's the reason I want to do it so I said yeah let's go for it straight away made it um, right up to the food festival starts on the Friday just gone we eventually got given our like literally our forms got stamped on the Wednesday beforehand um, it was that close to not happening if you know what I mean that stout even only came out of the fermenter on the Friday so we actually had it all in place um, it was funny because the guy our revenue department the guy who we deal with who's in charge of over everything with us the government department he eventually like we were waiting for this for so long he even said to me he was really nice and he said to me look I'll tell you what once it, I'm literally waiting at this stage for my regional manager to come in and stamp a form and all this kind of thing the minute it gets stamped I'll, I'll call you like normally I insist that it has to be I have to post you out a certificate he says I'll actually give you a verbal on the phone and he says you know so by about I remember thinking it wasn't going to happen at all and by about 4.30 on the the Wednesday he called up and says 
farmer's stand you can now start brewing beer and I said well actually we had beer being brewed for the last month but I forgot to tell you um, <laughs> but uh, I, I said um, so can we just start selling it and he actually says he was really surprised and he said well I don't know I've never come across this and I said he looked it up we weren't actually breaking any rules because until that moment it was this farmer's stand we were just a very fancy home brewer because we weren't allowed to sell the beer but the second we got the sanction in you could sell whatever beer was made it didn't really matter because we weren't we didn't need a license for anything we did up to that moment so he says yeah you can you can do whatever you start kegging he didn't know that we had the kegs already in the cold room the the lines already in waiting to tap them and we went and tapped them straight away and had a great big party that was a great night and it was perfect timing it was a little bit like things happening like the delays happening in, in the end it, it, like we got way more publicity about the brewery because it was that weekend we launched it at the same weekend that sort of thing there's loads of journalists down and food people and drink people down that whole weekend so we got a lot of coverage like the, the, we got great reaction to all the beers but with the coffee stout which was going to be our once off beer which obviously is not by looking at it because it's sitting there we add in cold infusion coffee from Bean and Dingle the coffee shop just down the street here right they did the coffee up for us we just you know like I remember I remember one thing saying to Graham I, I remember being in the States and having coffee stouts before and some of them were they might as well just have been a frozen uh, like a nice coffee you know that's all I was tasting coffee and so we were very careful when we like there is breweries that just throw the coffee into the boil and just see what happens kind of thing we were very careful and we waited to the very end so it's in the very last stage that we actually add the coffee and the funny thing we we got apart from like we put out like 30 glasses of stout here and had a little syringe and adding in the the amount we were like needed or thought we needed we went from 36 samples down to seven down to three down to one we all agreed on this because we didn't want too much coffee or too much stout that was the idea to try and have it in between and so anyone who's tried it already i don't know if if, um what you think of it um but what we did was we knew straight away like people were coming in here funny thing is a lot of people though you know you know most people in ireland do drink stout and guinness and that kind of thing the amount of people that came in the door and said oh no i won't try that one because i don't like stout or I don't like Guinness. And we were saying, well, that's the reason to try it. Um, and people who never drank craft beer before were just like, oh, no, no, I don't like... And we started getting this back from people, like, because I love stout, I love Guinness, no problem like that. But there was people coming in and, and we were saying, no, please tr- do try it. And people, it was funny, people who hate Guinness and hate stout were loving it. And people who love Guinness were loving it. So we had this strange beer that we had made that people who like Guinness or don't like Guinness seemed to love and I remember within the first hour or two turning around to the guys here because we were just seeing it was such a hit and I remember just going I think we found our third beer like it was that quick that we just said I think so mainly because there was none left after the weekend and we didn't (laughs) we didn't really get much of it ourselves so we started making again it just straight away turned into our third beer it sold it was probably the top selling beer of the three of them over the winter because it was a real nice winter drink you might notice with a lot of craft breweries in Ireland anyway a lot of them don't just don't bother making stouts or porters because there's that kind of thing out there that well look most people drink guinness guinness drinkers are known not to really try any other beers they are just generally most of them are if you like i don't mean everyone but i mean like i've had there could be guinness drinkers that could be like sorry we don't have guinness we only have murphy's and they go no you're grand i'll go on to heineken that's kind of the way a lot of guinness drinkers are that's that kind of way whereas maybe red ale drinkers are a bit different they might drink smithics but they will try yours so there is a kind of a thing that's why a lot of them just don't bother making us why don't we why would we buy try and compete with that we might as well make something different so that we kind of thought that until we made this beer so that's turned into our third beer as i say when we realized the reaction that people were loving our beer and there was obviously people going to other pubs asking for it and that and we had the bar owner saying no we will take your beer it gave us sort of a, a bit of time to do what the next step of the plan was. We, like within two months of opening, we were sending off a check of a deposit for new tanks. 
like without even many sales if you know what I mean we're doing it which is no fun really because obviously starting off the business you don't have a penny or skint the bank literally laughed in our face they were like come back in three years when you've sold some beer and we said no no we have one chance at this I said we have to go for it I'm delighted they did in the end because we didn't have to use them and we beg borrow steal the money whatever way we did it and we got, scraped it together sent off the deposit and it gave us the whole winter then to get ready for the expansion which everything here goes quiet in Dingle anyway so what happened after that was by about Christmas we were in four locations in town we have no idea we have no kind of sales records anything like this so we had nothing to go by like we were lucky we didn't put it into any more places because over the whole Christmas holidays we ended up selling most of our beer what we had we almost ran out of beer so January and February are the quietest months in Dingle they're really really quiet a lot of places closed down that sort of thing it's just the off season so what we did was we started installing to all these places that had said they'd take our beer and gradually over those say January and February almost hoping that they'd be quiet because we knew we didn't have enough beer for everyone but we the idea was that the tanks the new tanks would arrive on in march we knew we'd kind of have beer out of them in probably late april or may which is what happened in the end so by the time the beer we got the tanks in and went working on them and brewing into them by the time we actually started getting the beer out of them the tanks like which was basically going from 30 kegs a week to 90 kegs a week because we added on three more 2000 liter fermenters and a 2000 liter conditioning tank by that time, we were in what we were in now, because we didn't even go into any more. We are in 22 locations in town. So that's what we're in all summer. That's what we haven't gone into any more. There's one more we're going to go into now, and it's actually the new fish and chip place that just opened up here, um, uh, Fish Box, just up in the right, and they're taking our three beers. So we're going into them. But even as, as regards next summer, we, we've the funny thing is now we're getting asked by more. We're getting asked by the people who didn't really want it a year ago, who now do want it. And then, I don't know if anyone heard, we won two gold medals in the Blasna Heron, which is a food food and drinks awards, which is... And we entered the three beers, and on Saturday, we got the, the award. We and Coinciding with the food festival, coinciding with our first birthday, which is great. So we basically got a gold medal for the the coffee stout and the session IPA. So we're, we can't believe it. We're delighted with it because it's a real hard like thing, especially getting two of them. We'd, like, we knew we had a chance of something, but never thought we would get that. And the funny thing is, the last two days, people have been ringing me looking for the beer. So it just shows some people do go by, they don't even go by their even taste. They just go, oh, it won an award, so now I want the beer in my pub. I think there was 80 or 90 beers submitted wow. between different uh, categories. So we got the stout and the ale. So we were delighted, yeah. We were really, really happy with that. Um, outside of yet? We're in the 22 places we're in, and we can't yeah. go in it anymore yeah. in town. Don't I don't have, even have, don't I, have enough beer. Don't have enough beer. I don't even have a delivery van. I was going to say, you don't have a truck. No, yeah. no. I go around in my small little, my dad's old little Citroen, tiny little yeah. car. If it's, yeah. if it's seven, seven kegs into it and that's it, go around the town. That's the way it is. I, I suppose in one way you're talking about, say, a business plan that we started off with that we, you know, you kind of figure this out afterwards. A business plan is just a lot of guessing, really. It doesn't matter what your uh, what an accountant says or anything. That's really what it is. I'm trying to work out what maybe Dick Max would sell alone of the beer. And I remember thinking, right, during the, the busy few months, the peak season, that maybe they would sell anything from, I remember saying about a dozen, like 12 of those kegs, 12 of those 30-litre kegs. I remember Finn, who you met there earlier, and it's I probably partly, that's, that's what you do when you're setting up a business. You don't want to be too optimistic. You need to be a bit pessimistic. I remember him saying, no, I don't think so. I, think it, I don't even think we'd get past eight or nine. We were completely wrong. In the end of, between the end of July and the start of August, there was two or three weeks that I sold him 27 kegs. It turns out, if he told, if he was selling 27 of our 30 kegs, like it turns out we wouldn't have been able to go to anywhere else anyway. You know what I mean? We actually would have shot ourselves in the foot because we would have gone to, into more pubs. If we didn't do the expansion, 
we thought we would be in four or five polls. Turns out we would have been completely wrong. We would have let down a lot of people, let down ourselves. So in the end, the whole going with the expansion was a no-brainer and something we had to do. Um, some people say, why didn't you just do it all together at the time? Because we really did want to do it in baby steps. We want like we we spent more money on the brewery than we ever thought we would. The actual brewery itself, the actual equipment, because we went with one of the best brewery manufacturers in the world. We put it this way: when you go inside and you see the equipment, we could have bought from another manufacturer and probably got for the same money got twice the size of a brewery. But we wanted to go with the best because the way we looked at it was: we're never going to make a lot of beer but we want to make the best beer we can, and that can only happen with the best equipment and the best brewers. We went from brewing twice a week to six times a week. Now it's slowing down, so now that's why you see two other beers here, we, and they were just launched again for the food festival. They've almost ran out the, you know, this is the first time we did a lager. Generally, people drink lager, right? It's just a thing, but most people who drink lager, they're drinking Heineken and Carlsberg and that sort of thing. They're not, like, they've no like real interest like in... Like style lager, like yeah. profile. Yeah, and they're not really interested in a craft beer, like, and they don't normally want to pay any more for craft beer and that sort of thing. So we brought this out just to see what it was like and the reaction's been amazing. Our problem is we can't make it when we get busy again. Lager takes six weeks to ferment. Right. You know, so we've even, it's frustrating now, we, I hope we haven't shot ourselves in the foot because we've people now, some of the bar owners that we were in with our other beers saying, oh, I'll take another tap if you give me the lager. But we're like, yeah, but we can't give it to you next summer. Like if we give you, when we get busy again, which is basically like our season starts winding down now, slowing down. St. Patrick's Day is when it all starts again. So we have to be ready at that stage to be, and even more ready than we were last year. Last year was like we were catching up because as, as I said, the new tanks were going in. We were installing taps on the same week the tanks went in. And like we were, for the whole summer, we were chasing our tails. We were like, I was there as the guys were kegging beer. I was throwing them onto a handcart and running down to pubs. That's how much we were behind. We, we needed a couple of weeks earlier to get stocked up a little bit. We don't, we don't stock up a lot anyway. It's all about our fresh beer. At the moment, if you're drinking beer around town, chances are it was only kegged a week ago. In the summer, it was kegged an hour ago. You know, that was how fresh you were drinking it. So that's why it was tasting so good as well. And the funny thing is, I'm not a big lager person. Now, if I go to Germany and Czech Republic, yeah, I am. But like, I just wouldn't, they just doesn't really do it for me a lot. But when it came out, I love it. You know, I'm not just saying that, like I really, really do. I would, it's the last beer I would normally go for lager. I've just gotten into so many other beers. I don't really, so, but I really love it. And it's gotten an amazing reaction. Actually, during the whole weekend, which was the biggest weekend here, um, we sold more of that than anything. And then the other extreme, like we started off with a session IPA here, that's 4.6%. I've had people coming into me from the States, especially telling me that's not a real IPA. A real IPA it's is session, eight, eight, nine, ten 10%. Yeah, but I get people telling me that. And I say to them, yeah, but if I was to bring out a proper IPA at the start, I'd frighten half the town away. Knows the term. Do you know what Togbogui means? Yeah. That's, that's what we call the, the IPA. Togbogui. The reason that name, we're not, very, we're not very clever with our names. We normally just call them what they are, which is the beer. Like, people, kept, people come into me, so what are you going to call your... Amber Ale and we're like Amber Ale that's what it is I, I, I kind of hate that whole trying to pink funny names and cartoon characters and I just hate it myself I just like when it's called what it is except when it was to this beer because we were this is this is how much goes into our you know you might say our marketing meetings and all this we had to when we decided to make the beer we had to then submit for the food festival that's coming up what we were going to have on offer because basically for the whole weekend people are going around with these vouchers and it was one of those we're late with handing in the form she said she wasn't going to keep um, submit it for us all this time so we were literally sitting up in the room there while we can call the beer um, we didn't want to call it IPA because we on the other hand we want people to know it's extra strong you know what I mean because as you said a lot right. of IPAs aren't we want people to know before they start drinking it so apart from putting on that it's 6.5% 6, 6 it was Finn who said it who you met and it was like 
I kind of want I was like I want I really want people to know because it is the worst thing like you know as I say you know we might drink a lot in Ireland but it doesn't necessarily mean we're good at drinking slowly like we know we, know, we kind of aren't in general like we don't really know how to um, so I didn't want people just going yeah that tastes lovely and drinking it and having three or four pints drinking it like it's a weaker beer so I kind of wanted to either call it some sort of strong IPA or something and Graham is very meticulous and he said in there but it's not a strong IPA he said it's a normal IPA in the States so I wasn't going to call it normal IPA so I said I said how do how do we stress to people like if this one is a session one and the idea of a session is a drinking session a music session something that can last a long time that's really what it is how do we stress that it's the opposite it was Finn who came out with it. If you see any road signs, you're in the Gaeltacht here now, so you'll see a lot of road signs in Irish. You'll see Togbogay written down. Togbogay means take it easy. It actually means people say it's like chill out. It's like that kind of thing. And it's an old, it's an old term. That's and it, they, cool. they still have it on road signs. That's what it means, slow down. Like coming up to a bend, it, instead of said slow down, it'll say Togbogay. So Finn said, and he just goes, what about Togbogay IPA? And we said, right, it has a ring to it, that's it. it. Wrote it down, yeah. submitted it, that was it. That's what goes into our marketing meetings, yeah. you know? Um, but it was funny people did like people all it was the talking point of the weekend because people like you know did take notice of it like and okay this is a slow down one I suppose every time that's the good thing about what we're doing here and we're, we're doing you're sitting on some uh, casts over there we've put like the two first ones over near the window are full of our they're, they're originally bourbon casts filled with Irish whiskey they're only emptied, emptied a couple of weeks ago and this, the coffee stout is in two of them you can see actually yeah the names of, we've got the names put on in the last few days and um, the coffee stout is in the first two and the second two, that I, the Togbogay IPA has gone into. Right. Nice. So this is because it's one, it's one advantage of going, quiet, going quieter in the winter. You can mess around and do things like that. So we're all waiting for the new year now to open, crack one of those open, see what's going to give. We already know what the coffee stout because we did it last year. It wasn't. It wasn't even because it's, it's very. It's very experimental doing any of that sort of stuff. Like it mightn't even work out the same the next time. That's the way it is. That kind of thing. But. But we were quiet, number one. We didn't have a lot, like, there wasn't a lot going on, so we had time and all that to do it. Um, Finn owned a whiskey cask from Dingle Whiskey, and he emptied it into another cask because he wanted to get a different finish on, so he owned it. And he had a deal, like, he had a deal done with another distillery um, up the country, up in Carlow, that they said they wanted us, he, he wanted to give them the barrel but after we had put our beer in it. So we put, the, we put the beer into it and we took it out. It was actually on the day that we were going up to, um, to, to drop off the cask to them. And we, took a, we emptied it into kegs, to proper stainless steel kegs. We took a sample of it and we tasted it. And I, don't, I, I know it's a big thing in the States, putting, finishing off a, a beer in a whiskey barrel. I've never liked it. I've always kind of gone, like, if I'm drinking whiskey, I'm drinking whiskey. If I'm drinking beer, I don't like... Some of them, I think, I've had kind of... I think it's a Kentucky one and that it's just like someone sort of shot a whiskey in my beer which I don't really like you know yeah. and I, I wasn't even on for it at the start I was the one of the ones going I don't think we should do this and you know whatever and we all had a taste and none of us liked it we all went <laughs> we went, see I told you it was a waste of time doing it and we put the ca- we put the kegs aside when funny, funny thing happened we almost forgot about it we had the kegs in here just sitting there um, and a couple of months later so we had a, two months in the casks and then about all, the guts of two months in the kegs and we were about to, it was getting to the busy stage and we almost needed the kegs, if you know what I mean. And we said, God, we better decide when we're doing that. Are we getting rid of it or, you know, are we going to dump it or whatever? And we tapped it up here and we tried it and it had completely changed in those two months. Nice. It had gone from being, and again, we're not too original with our names. The first flavor you got off it straight away was it just tasted like an Irish coffee because you had the sweetness and you had the coffee and you had the 
the whiskey and all this and there was there was even different flavors coming out of it like people actually said just that's not the same beer it's completely different there was all these chocolate flavors started coming out and this sort of thing so that's what everyone said when they tried it it's like an irish coffee stout so we just called it irish coffee stout um and it sold out quicker than any beer has ever sold here so it it was we we didn't even because like Finn's bar would not normally be a bar that would have rotational taps on and we just put it we didn't even have a badge enough for it we just wrote down limited edition and we started realizing that if you write limited edition on something people just go for it people go well if your other beers are that good I'm going to try this so people were just walking in going a pint of that and we were like do you want to know what it is and they were like no just give it to me you know and it sold out in about four days four 50 litre kegs which is a lot like we wouldn't have been selling it all and we launched it for St. Patrick's Day and all that sort of thing but it was gone within a few days and everyone kept asking about it and we were like okay well we we didn't go even near doing it that time but we've done it now and hopefully the idea is going to be ready for Christmas or something like that so we already know what that's going to be like but we're really interested in seeing what that IPA is going to be like coming out of that you know that's really bringing you up to now I'll bring you inside there and we'll show you the brewery back up here and drink some beer we're here with Austin Barrett and he is uh, one of the founders and what else are you the head brewer here or is Graham? No, no, Graham and Brian are the brewers. All right. Yeah. So you're kind of, the, are you the marketing public relations? No. Just doing a bit of everything else. No. There's, there's three of us really full-time working in there. Myself and Gra- myself and Graham started out. Graham's the brewer. Right. And then when we did the expansion I told you about, we took on Brian. Right. So we, I'm, I'm basically doing everything else, the deliveries and, as you say, marketing, dealing with customers, all that. So your background, uh, you you were born in Dublin, but your mother's family was from here. From Ballyferter, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were in the States for a number of years. Uh, about five years that time. Okay. What were you no, doing? Not working in the Not beer, working in the no, industry, no. the beverage industry no, at all? No. Only actually got into it here by, I won't even say by accident, for a job, if you know uh-huh. what I mean. Right. Just got to love it straight away and always wanted to do it from then on. One of the things that I really admire about what you guys do, you're trying to make beers in Ireland that other people are not trying to make. Yeah. The other thing I like about what you do is that your name says what you are. And and I think that behooves you in a market that's growing because, you know, you've got a lot of people out there that don't know what craft beer is. Mm. And uh, so they come into, they see a tap handle, they know exactly what they're looking at yeah. and not... Like you said, some funny name. Yeah. And this IPA, Togboge. Yeah. Did I say it right? Perfect. Like a local. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've read enough Irish to know that I don't usually pronounce it right. You've infused this with seaweed. Yeah. Like, how, how do you, in the process of uh, the grinding, the mash, everything, how, how's this, the seaweed get introduced? It was put into the boil. It was basically, um, it would be, it's... It's a food product here. It's like a... It's, right. It's, it's, Car- it's, what do they call it? Carrageen? Carrageen. Carrageen. Yeah, it's different Carrageen. forms of it now, but it harvested from beaches up in North Kerry, so right. around Ballybunion and Ballyhigh. So what we do is we rehydrated it. It had been dried out. We rehydrated it in the louder tone, actually, and then added in and then separated it out again. Um, it's really just, as I say to people, it's not... It doesn't give any flavor off of the seaweed, but what it does is it, it gives you a mouthfeel and it enhances all the other flavors, which is probably the reason that an hour later you can taste the, get the flavor of our IPA afterwards. Austin Barrett, thank you very much, sir, You're welcome. for thank taking you. time out of thank your you day to be host us here. And I will tell people that when they go to Dingle, you've got to stop into Dick Max Pub. Not only for Dick Max Pub, but for Dick Max Brew House. Thanks again. No problem. Here, let's 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 cheers. Cheers.
We took a tour there at Dick Max with uh, a group of people, not only from my tour of Ireland, but there were some other folks there. And just so happened that one of the other uh, people in attendance was a young lady by the name of Robin Austin, and she's a marketing manager for Ninkasi Brewing Company out of Eugene, Oregon. And uh, she and I had a little talk about craft beer afterwards, shared a beer together there at Dick Max, and I promised... Next year, we're looking at a West Coast swing with the Brews Traveler, and I will give Robin a call and go and interview the folks at Ninkasi Brewing Company. There's a great story behind the name of that that, uh, brewery, and I'll save that for when we talk about their particular operation. Dick Max Brew House is located across the street from the church in Dingle, Ireland. The church is located across the street from Dick Max. Uh, it's one of the most famous pubs in all of Ireland, and if you're in Dingle, you just got to go there. The brew house itself is in a 150-year-old stone cattle shed, a dairy shed that was behind the pub, and uh, it's really cool. So, brew house is generally open seven days a week. Uh, during the off-season, it's probably a good idea to give them a call. From the U.S., that number is 011-353-669151787. Tours are held every day at 3 p.m. You can also make inquiries about visiting the pub and touring the brew house over at their website. That's dickmaxpub.com. Hey! Ha! da 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 yeah. Ha! Hey! Cardi on scale of buco. What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? So, and we're back in Dublin, my favorite city in the whole entire world. And we're here with my very, very, very good friend. He's the bar manager here at one of the most venerable old bars in Dublin City, the Stag's Head. And if you come to Dublin and you don't go to the Stag's Head, you are committing heresy. But here he is, my good buddy, Pat Dowling. Pat, thanks for taking time out of a busy Saturday afternoon and evening to sit down with Tony and I. Oh, no problem at all, and it's, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Tell us about your background. You've been in this business here in the city. You're from Carlo. Uh, just tell us about your background. Well, my background is I started, when I finished school, I started, I wanted to be a butcher. I think was, I'm probably still butchering people today, but in a slightly <laughs> different way. So I started off, I was a butcher, and I remember one day I came home from, from work, and I was cold, and I was wet, and I was stinking, and I picked up the paper, and I says, I need a new job. Opened up the Nationalist and Leinster Times, the local paper in Carlo, and I saw this job for bartender, apprentice bartender, no experience required, uh, call this number. So I called the number, and I... Uh, Organised an interview. I went up. I went into the bar, which was the Pachin still out in the Nace Road, uh, owned by Louis Fitzgerald, uh, who to this day I still work for, but after a few detours. But I went in and I waited for an hour and a half for an interview that was meant to start at 11 o'clock. And at half 12, this man who looks a little bit like Charles Bronson, I suppose, popped his head into the snug and went, Are you okay? And I went, uh, I'm waiting for an interview. I had no idea who this man was, so he brought me up to the restaurant. We had a chat, and it turned out it was Louis Fitzgerald. He said, look, I can give you a week's trial. Come up to Dublin, take a week's holidays from from your, your job. Come up to Dublin, work for the week, and see if you like it and we like you, and we'll see how it goes. And he gave me the dates, 
and little did I know that it was Punchestown week. And uh, he needed Okay, explain to the American <laughs> Punchestown is the one of the biggest national hunt racing weeks in Ireland. And it's not too many miles away from the Pochine still, and it will be one of the main stop-offs for everybody coming and going to the races in Kildare. And the Pochine... Fox, fox hunting? No. No. Steeplechase? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, all right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So little did I know that I was being used as cannon fodder. <laughs> so <laughs> like, Baptism by fire. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. But I, after the week, I went home to my mother with two boots of money of tips, and I went, Mom, I'm, I'm moving to Dublin. And I gave my notice to my job, and I, I moved up. I had nowhere to stay. I, you know, and that was in 1996. You know, and the rest, as they say, is probably history. Like so you know, you've been here now. Let's see, 20, 22 years. 22 years. Yeah. Great. So I'm as long out of Carlo than I was in Carlo. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I'm the same way with Jefferson City and Hannibal. Uh, Carlo is not a world away, but in some ways oh, it is. It's a different world completely. A, like yeah, you know, yeah. so, but I mean, it was it was the freedom of it all. Like you know, so walking walking away from from family, from ties, sure. from from all that sort of stuff. Being young, being dumb, being being able to do what the hell right. you wish to do. Like you know, so it was a, the formative years of of my bartending career were a little bit hazy to say the least. Where, so you started. That's, that's the best way. Yeah, yeah. You started at the Pachin still. I started the Pachin still, and I did an apprenticeship. So I literally started at the bottom. I did the kegs, I did the stores, I did the glasses, I did everything that had to be done. I did, I got caught with all the stupid bartender uh, little long stands and glass hammers and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I literally worked from the very, very bottom all the way through. Like, you know, so it's, it's satisfying now to look back and go, well, I know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I know what it takes to get to where I am. And you look at the snowflake, the the millennials, these 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 people who within <laughs> within six months think they should be flying a spaceship to yeah. the moon, like, <laughs> like, right? So it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's but you know it's fun, it's fun. So I spent I spent four years in the Pachin still, and then I moved to Kios and St Anne Street. Oh yeah, I didn't know you. I didn't. Uh, yeah. I did not know you were over at John Kios. Yeah, so Kios. I spent three years in Kios. Uh, it's a great bar. It's a super bar. Now, I met you here yeah. a few years back. How long after you were at Keos did you come to the Stag's Head? Well, I, so I left the group. Anyone that has succeeded within the group leaves the group. They experience new things. They, they bring that experience back. So I left after Keos and I went to work in a bar in the financial district. And then I went to work for John Keating, who owned the church on the end of Mary Street. So, right. So a fantastic, fantastic venue that he uh, spent way too many millions uh, doing up. Yeah. And, it's a beautiful uh, spot. Oh, it's stunning. It's, it's probably one of the finest sites in, in, in the city, like, you know, for, right. for, for a bar. But uh, wrong side of the city and 36 million quid later, it's it, it, like, you know, yeah. and being in debt to uh, Anglo-Irish Bank <laughs> did not help his cause. Yeah. You know, an Anglo-Irish Bank were one of the banks that really caused the whole crash to happen. Like, in, you know, so back in, ten, in, ten years ago. Ten now. years ago, yeah. yeah. It, ten years. Well, it doesn't seem like that no, long, does it? God. No, it doesn't. So I moved from the church to the Stag's Head. Yeah, I uh, I got a phone call. I went, and uh, I was asked to come across, and uh, I met Louis, and Louis offered me uh, another pub, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit small. I, you know, I didn't, no disrespect to it, but I did, I, I felt 
I wanted something else and I actually knew that he was looking for a manager for the Stags head so I, I played a little bit of hardball and I turned him down and I got a phone call the next day to come and meet him in the Keys in Tampa Bar so I went into the Keys and he said right uh, what if I was to offer you the Stags head and what I had said to him the day before is like Louis I'd, I'd have to really talk to my wife about uh, you know accepting an offer like that like you know, it's, a, it's, it's a family it's a family thing you know <laughs> so the next day he offers me the Stags head I went, uh, Louis, I don't have to ring my wife on this one. Yes, of course I do. <laughs> so <laughs> so then, then started my love affair, I suppose, with the Stag's Head, uh, which has been uh, an amazing journey, you know. So I, I it, it's, it's a just an absolute fabulous bar. It's a gem. It is. What year was it started? 1770? 1770, uh, there was a bar here. Right. Okay. But as is happened in 1895 so everything that we see upstairs is 1895 right. well it has it has that victorian look yeah. about yeah it's, it yeah it's 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 absolutely phenomenal like you know, so it's the original stained glass windows the uh, uh the, the, the mahogany behind the bar the, the marble on the counter it's at uh, the terrazzo floor it's 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 a stunning it is it's it's a stunning bar i always remember when i came in and i was like my god you know looking around going this is somewhere that you can put your hat down and, you know, you can make it your own and, you know, have a bit of fun with it. And uh, I always had an interest in whiskey at the time. So, you know, mm -hmm. and I looked in and went, Jesus, we've got seven whiskeys. Seven. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. We had Jemison, Paddy, Powers, Black, White, Bush, uh, Red Breast and Middleton. That's all we had in the whole bar. Uh, I went on a bit of a hiatus, so I, I left uh, eight years you later. You went out and got additional experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely did. Feel yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, and I left, and the day I was leaving, we had 137 Irish whiskies. You did, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's amazing to look back on, on the journey that it takes to go there, like, you know, and, and you know, the fun that you have now with the consumer, the customer, you know, the, the friend. The, the you know the, just the, the fun to be able to bring them on a journey you know and, and discover what they like discover their tastes discover where you can bring them like you know and give them spicy whiskey give them something fruity oh I don't like whiskey but have you ever tried right you know and right. just you know I suppose like even with a, a, the, the craft beer thing like you know, that's pe exactly pe it. people have this uh, uh, idea in their head that oh they're all going to be big beasty you know right. hoppy flavorful you know i don't want that you know but you know once you ex you ease them into it like you know it's it's a wonderful experience no, so absolutely. i came in one time after a tour and i was here for a couple of days after a tour and i was just shagged out i mean i was shagged out and i came in and i sat down at the bar and pat my usual drink when i come in here was a pint of guinness and a pour of powers that was my usual and he goes you have the usual you're gonna have a pint and a pour and i said no i need something refreshing and you gave me the monkey 47 with a fever tree tonic with a slice of cucumber and freshly cracked black pepper and I became a gin and tonic drinker. Right? <laughs> we see it was delicious. Yeah. And that's that that's what an experienced barman knows. Well, the thing about the, the whole gin and tonic thing, so my primary interest was in whiskey. And as we know, whiskey takes in Ireland it takes three years and a day for it to be called whiskey. 
you know but even at three years in a day you're still if you're anyway worth your salt you're going to be waiting at least five you know and the five year wait or even three year wait costs money so we've seen an explosion of gin Mm-hmm. You know, right. we've seen this explosion of flavor. You don't have to tie as you don't have to tie up as much inventory. No, no, it's, it's a two day right. turnaround. Yeah, like you, you, you don't you, sit it for you a while. Know, you're you're yeah. there with your uh, neutral right. grain spirit and your your, your uh, and your botanicals. Yeah, and there, you're there you the go. Yeah, 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 you're 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 producing like you know, and you're making money. So the, the glut of uh, I still say to this day that the the gin and tonic industry have an awful lot, especially the tonic industry have an awful lot to be thankful for the uh, the whiskey industry. Sure. You know, right. you know, so it's a huge, uh, like, you know, it's, it's, it's hand and glove type things. Yeah. So, like, yeah, exactly. Like Dingle Gin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, Dingle Distillery. Yeah. They had vodka and gin out right after they opened, and they're still just now getting their whiskeys out into the market. Yeah, very small batch, very, very, right. very, very small right. numbers, very rare. Right. Uh, some beautiful whiskeys, uh, some very expensive whiskeys, uh, but... Uh, are you yeah. are you finding the consumers are more like that's kind of opened a door for them like that they're more adventuresome when it comes to taste you kind of mentioned that a little bit with Alan but like that kind of veers into what we're talking about with craft beer in, in general is this kind of the consumer adventuresome like they're a little bit op- more open to a different flavor see, yeah well the one thing about I would suppose about Ireland is if you look at what we do we we grasp onto things very very quickly so uh, no smoking change of currency you know. Uh, Weather, the weather. I, I, I put it all down to the weather. Our weather changes so quickly that we don't get used to one type of weather so that we're very, very adaptable. So it doesn't matter what comes along. You know, it, did, it didn't take us two and a half years to introduce a new currency. We didn't run it side by side for, for two years like Italy did or Spain did. Like, you know, we went, right, right it's, it's a new currency next week, lads. Uh, we're going to, when you put your card in the bank, it's going to give you euros and there's your exchange rate and when you go to the shop the shopkeeper is going to do it for you and within a month we had no punt left and it was all euro Pounds and it was gone. done Yeah, and it was done the deal was done so we travelled an awful lot during the boom so we went America Australia Europe uh, and our tastes grew so like you know so we wanted to know more about craft beer we wanted to know more about you know flavour you know the the generics uh, the the big boys were pumping us out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because, well, speaking of travel, um, my family and I came over here in 2011, and I know Alan's been coming here since 2004. Right. Um, and that for us, even in 2011, like it, th- that was the window into to the world outside of Bud and Coors. Like it was like, oh my God, Carlsberg, Guinness, Smittix. Like we, you know, it, it was everything that you wanted to, to try. It was like a whole new world of of beer, um, and. Then going back, eventually the, that craft beer scene in the U.S. has kind of evolved so much. Tell me a little. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen happen here in that realm. The man I work for is Louis Fitzgerald. He is one of the most revered publicans in in the country. Absolutely, he is. Mm-hmm. Like he's the father. Like you know, he he did things, but he has a style, and his style is is conservative. Like you know, so we don't break it. We don't need to fix it it just keeps going and we keep it going we keep it going the right way and when I started here I I had been tasting beers like Galway Hooker and this and I was going do you know what this stuff could sell and it took me six months constantly going Louis I think we should get a craft beer Louis I think we should get a craft beer every meeting we should get a craft beer 
we should get a craft beer. And I know for a fact that he uh, he spoke to another publican in the in the area, and the publican went, Louis, why don't you have any craft beer in your bars? <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes to me, okay, so what's the story with this craft beer stuff? And I says, well, to be honest, I'm not overly familiar with it, but I know that this is what our consumer wants. You know, so again, we went and we did a bit of research into it, and at the time, uh, we plumbed to go for we were taking out Miller Genuine Draft. Uh, MGD, we were going... Yeah. <laughs> but that, no MG, go, but go, MGD go, at the time go, was... You, was can't, you can't find that in the States anywhere. anywhere. No. no, but you can't, you can't find it. It's dead, it's died, yeah. it's gone. Right. So we, the thing was, okay, so we, I did a tap analysis and I went, right, this is our worst performing beer. Let's replace this one. And the whole thing was, we gave it a target. We, the target was to do two kegs a week, you know, two two thirty liter kegs. So it's not a huge amount; no. it's a hundred pints, you know. But if it could justify having that tap for that, well, then we would look at something else. So Galway Hooker, no doubt, did six kegs a week, nice. six kegs every week. Very nice. And we were like, right, this is what the consumer wants. We we can see that this is what the consumer wants. So me being a Carlo man. And uh, Carlo has O'Hara's, and I knew the guys from O'Hara's, and I went to lads. Uh, there's an opportunity. So at one stage, the Stag's Head had the largest volume of O'Hara's beers per tap in the country. <laughs> wow! You know, that was because the beer was from my hometown. Yeah, yeah. How, 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 many, how many handles did you have? Uh, no, we only had we had two. Three. We had three. We had three taps. You had three, and you had the most in the country. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but it was because it was. But it, was, it then became the the joke, like you know, did you have a beer from his hometown? And I was like, yeah, well, you yeah. gotta have a beer from my hometown. Yeah. And it was like so we had the pale ale and we had the land for land, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous big stout, you know, like a a, a porter, like you know, and a beautiful seven and a half percent, you know. And that was the, the reason I got that was it was winter time and it was like you know so it was dark outside and yeah. it was you know it was cold and my perfect combination is a glass of Lanfalan and it powers John's Lane and I'm just like you know mm. it's just yeah well, yeah yeah that that in a book well, and, a, and a big fire oh, happy sure. days and that's something that's a question that I had had uh, I was thinking about is there's two different ways of looking at how to kind of branch out into that realm. And in, in America, we're betting our own big boys, which are like the, the pale lagers, those American pale lagers. And there's a thought that you, what you do is you give the consumer something completely different to give them a, an alternative, or you give them the gateway beer. Here's something that's a little bit lighter that's going to get you into craft beer. Did that go into your thought process at all, like with the big boys here, which are well, like, you, know, you see, the big boys always looked at it and went, all right. So I remember Heineken bringing out a, a god-awful sounding beer called Rising Road, yeah. which... Uh, uh, Got a rebrand and is now called Cute Hura. Yeah, I had. Is you, that Heineken's I've tried beer? It. That's Heineken's beer. Okay, so mm. Cute Hura is Rising Road, and yes, we know that people will go in and because of the, the funny the name, name right. and 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 the Gu- funny glass, guilty in court. Yeah, yeah, I'll have a Cute Hura. I mean, of course, <laughs> yes, you will have a Cute Hura. Like, yeah, because yeah, and, and there's a bit of fun in it. Mm. But for me, the biggest gateway beer that was made and is successful is probably Hop House 13 mm. so by Hop Guinness, House 13 yeah. by Guinness yeah. is hoppier than any lager right but not as hoppy as any pale ale like you know so it's 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 double hopped it's got you know 
Uh, and it's just, it's it's like it is the gateway. It's halfway between being a craft beer and mm. and 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 it's been very successful. Oh, huge, here. hugely. Yeah, successful. I mean, there's very few bars that don't have Hop House on mm. draft. Yeah, and that and that's just like within the last three or four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now now they've uh, gone the other direction. And they're fighting Coors Light with uh, Rockshore. Have you tasted Rockshore? That, I have. No, I have not. I did. Yeah. It's like but that, it's, that's it's, made, it's like it's like having pale. sex in the canoe. Yeah, But then again, you know, you look at it. You look at the very, very young market, and you look at people, and they go, "Well, they." They want alcohol, but they don't necessarily want to be challenged with big tastes yet. Right. Like you know, they they haven't travelled, they haven't, you know, they're only starting out. You know, so it's replacing the likes of the Budweiser and the Coors Light drinker, and, and at least they're trying something different. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. the first step, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. No, so I'm fascinated because uh, when you're going against, like, like I said, the big boys here, like, because the, the big boys here are like the stout and and the red in the world. So, I mean. The big thing in, in the U.S. was always going for the hops. Like it, that was the first step. Is like you guys are drinking nothing but Budweiser and Coors. Here are these like at the time like Sierra Nevada Pale Ales. Like things that are going to hop your face off. Yeah. And it got to the point where it became like a challenge, which is the, the, the dumbest thing that Americans always do. Is like just let's just turn it to eleven and yeah. make it not even taste good, just to see how much we can get your face to pucker. But over here, kind of what's what's the strategy that you're seeing in craft beer? What's what are you seeing? Well, what we're seeing not not only in craft beer but in all alcohol at the moment is there is a drive for the lower ABV beers. Mm-hmm. So like you know, we're seeing a glut of uh, of session IPAs. We're seeing a glut of even non-alcoholic beverages now at the moment. Like you know, so they've all entered into the non-alcoholic realm. Like you know, and like where five years ago I would have said you were crazy. Like you know, what do you think you're doing? Now it's it's the norm. Like we as a small bar have four non-alcoholic beers. Wow. Why why is that you think? Here. Again, it's it is a change in percent. People still want to be in the pub. They still want to be involved in it. They may not want the after effects of it all. Sure. And they want to be involved. They want and they want to be seen to be involved in it. Like, you know, so they have your Heineken Zeros, you have your Pure Brews, you have your uh, Stiegels, you have your Erdinger non-alcoholics, and that's only on that side. And then on the other side, you have like Hop Session, which would be from uh, uh, O'Hara's, you have low ABV Session session Ales, which are very popular, which, you know, you have Hop Session from O'Hara's, mm-hmm. you have uh, White Hag, the Little Fawn, you have Lily White's mm-hmm. IPA, and everybody, all of the breweries are bringing out a low ABV beer. You know, so they still have flavor. They still have some amount of hops, but it's still lower ABV we're seeing. Of course, you you also have the big beasts. You have the seven and eight yeah. percent and that, like yeah. But that's, that's where we see where we see the market going at the moment is lower ABV. Yeah, well, and then that's interesting because I've noticed this from moving around the country and in the United States is that just different areas of drinking culture. But this is, you know, I moved to the South and I had a lunch beer and they looked at me like I was crazy. Like that, that plays into it. Like mm. I, I want a beer because of the flavor and I don't want something that's going to knock me out for the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you think that's that's kind of one of the Well, that's where, that I, 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 it's where I see it going at the moment is like, yo, that all of the, the breweries that are, are, all the craft breweries that are out there, they all, it all started off with pale ale. Mm. Double hot, double double pale ales. It started off with a red ale. Very few of them did lagers, yeah. you know, and they did a stout. Right. And now every single one of bar none are all doing a session IPA. So they they they're trying to get that that little bit extra, like you know, get that newer drinker, get that person who 
hasn't quite gotten into the hops yet. Yeah, yeah. That's what, you know. Where do you see craft beer going in Ireland? It's only going to get bigger. How big will the big guys let it get is, is anybody's guess. Like, you know, because if you look at Diageo, they have the Open Gate series, which is a very, very weak attempt at doing craft beers. In America, we call them crafty beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you have the, the crafty beers, like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're pale ales, they're, they're stouts, they're, they're playing around with some Kirks and some stuff like that. Like, so I suppose it's interesting, but they are trying to stem the flow of, of the, uh, the hemorrhaging uh, consumer. Again, though, it's never going to be... It's never offensive, you see. So the beers that they do are never offensive. So right. they're, no, they're not. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're like, they're, they're like they're, something you could make at home yourself. Yeah, sure. And they're know. casting a wide net. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's it. They're and it's not costing them much. Right. So right. Like, you know, it doesn't right. cost them much. Right. To, they have a very small... They have a, a microbrewery up there within St. James's Gate that they're doing all this yeah. stuff. That's just Guinness, like, you know. Uh, but if you look at Heineken, Heineken went out and spent a billion quid on Lagunitas. yeah. yeah. You know, so so they obviously take, they're taking it quite seriously. Mm-hmm. Like you know, so I've just, I've just been told by my Heineken rep that uh, they will start the distribution of Lagunitas in uh, in January mm-hmm. in Ireland. You know, so yeah, and brewed in Cork City. Is yeah. it? Yeah, that's yeah. what I heard. So that means then that they will do what they do with Heineken. So Heineken everywhere else in in Europe is five percent beer, right? And in Ireland it's four point. And that's is that because part of that because of taxation? Uh, there is the excise duty factor on it, but there's also the fact that you don't want to give an Irishman too many. Uh... <laughs> 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 that's a good place to end yeah. all of this. Pat Dowling, uh, barman, bar uh, manager, extraordinaire, good friend, Stag's Head so much, in no Dublin, and uh, thanks for sitting down with Tony and I and having a chat. It's always a pleasure, Alan. All right, that, cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. So that's it, folks. Thanks for listening this week and putting my nasal congested voice in your ear. Thanks so much. Please check us out on Facebook at the Bruce Traveler Podcast and go over to iTunes, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. The soundtrack for the Bruce Traveler is generously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm. Check out what's going on with them over at their website, GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. I'm home for the next few weeks, and besides some day trips here and there, if I don't run into you at the tap room, I'll see you at the pub. Remember, drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, and take care of the earth. It's every Everything we've got. And Marilee, thank you so much for saying yes. You are the measure of my dreams. It's so good to be home. I love you. Thanks again, folks, and so long for just a while. Gather up the pots in the old tin can, the mash in the corner, the barley in the brand, and the run like a devil from the excise man, keep this one from raising barley. Eyes well peeled today, the tall tall men they're on their way, they're searching for the mountain day in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots in the old tin can, the mash in the corn, the valley in the grand, run like a devil from the excise man, get this one from raising barley. Gather for the butcher in a quart, 
Lord Tom and a bottle for the poor old father Tom to help the poor old dear along in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots and the old tin can, the mash and the corn, the barley and the bran. Run like a devil from the excise man, keep the smoke from raising barley. No swing to the right, so the excise man can dance all night. He's drinking with the tail to the broad daylight in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots in the old tin can, the mash in the corn, the valley in the brand. Run like a devil from the excise man, cause he's smoke from raisin barney. And don't you fall, the excise men they're at the wall. Jesus Christ, they've drinking it all in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots in the old tin can, the mash in the corn, the valley in the brand. Run like a devil from the excise man, keep the smoke from raising barley. Gather up the pots in the old tin can, the mash in the corn, the valley in the brand. Run like a devil from the excise man, keep the smoke from raising barley. When I die, Dublin will be written in my heart. James Joyce, Irish novelist, author of Ulysses. Born February 2nd, 1882, Rathgar, Dublin, Ireland. Died January 13th, 1941, Zurich, Switzerland. <laughs>